0: Hey, everybody, we're back with another movie. It's not a first-run movie. It's not a last-run movie. It's last year's 2019 surprise Oscar winner, Parasite, directed and written by one Bong Joon-ho, which you might recognize as the director and writer of The Host, Mother, Seafog, *Okja*. perhaps Snowpiercer might be uh, a title that a lot of Western audiences are familiar with. Uh, he wrote this film. He directed it. He won some Oscars. Jim, Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about this movie other than I thought it was a Korean horror film when I when I was going in to watch this movie. Uh, Cecily wanted to watch it because she had she's become a a Bong Joon-ho disciple um, recently. Uh, And I was completely blown away. Uh, I staggered out of that movie theater like the hell did I just watch? Did you have any expectations? Uh, what was your first watch like, etc, cetera, etc? Cetera.
1: I thought this was going to be uh, Korean knives out, and so I was like surprised at what I actually ended up getting, because I don't think there are actually all that many similarities hmm. uh, other than a rich family and poor servants being in the film. Other than that, I, I don't think there's a lot to compare here. Um, really, but I ended up really enjoying the movie.
0: You don't think because, like, though I I can't remember if that's the recommendation I made to of it to you or when we first started talking about it, or everybody, if it's something everybody
1: was making that because,
0: because it does seem like they're both essentially black comedies, um, at least a large part of the structure. They're also somewhat a, they're not a somewhat they're explicitly a social the a, a critique of. You know, social stratification and the has versus the have-nots, and the attitudes that are kind the of between there, um, crossing personal lines, um, crossing professional lines. Um, so, but you didn't think that the comparison was all that apt?
1: No, I think I think they're pretty different. How so? Uh, this this movie actually has a lot more to say about that mm. than Knives Out. I think Knives <laughs> so- Out is more of a fun sort of romp through that that. <laughs> uh landscape that class landscape and then it turns out like the ending is actually pretty happy this
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i I, the ending of this movie to me is very very dark very hopeless and sad
0: yeah uh if you want to kind of preserve your uh surprise and like initial impressions you might want to bail out now because uh, i think we've said all that we want to say non-spoilery If you're not familiar, uh, the premise of this film is you have a poor Korean family, the Kims, uh, and they're shown as really down on their luck. They're kind of down to their last won, the Korean (laughs) currency. Uh, They're getting all their services canceled. They might be threatening to be evicted. Uh, And then one of them has a college friend who provides them a hookup to tutoring services of the rich Park family who lives high above, almost in the clouds, uh, above the Kim station. And the Kims come up with the scheme to slowly replace the household staff of the parks with their own family, an elaborate chain of referrals that will eventually have every member of the family working for the parks. And chaos, hilarity, tragedy, everything ensues. Uh, So now that we've got that synopsis over at way, let's just talk about this film. Okay. This is a, this is a complicated film where to begin. Um, there's clearly a lot of commentary to be had about the, the theme, the, the film's plot and themes. I want to talk about the artistic. Um, it's always hard for me to judge some of this stuff when I'm looking at a foreign film, because, you know, um, i become aware as I watch more of this stuff, like the way people's inflections work, like, uh, um the way people's like voice intonations and things like that stuff gets lost in translation like i know what a like i can tell the difference when i'm looking at an english-speaking person uh between like if they're stressed if they're angry if they're like at the end of their rope if they're doing that ironically um you know i have a lot of nuance in that where some of the foreign films like it's it's it seems like uh I have a harder grasp on that. And you have to split your time between looking at the performances and looking at the subtitles. But one thing I found of almost universal is like a well-composited shot just kind of pops off of the screen and like a really good music cue that heightens the uh, sensibility of the scene really works out well. And I find that like um, Mr. Bong here is an amazing shot composition guy. Like, Every frame of painting, there's many, many, many frames and many, many paintings in this film. And you, it starts off like the way he shoots the Kim's apartment and how claustrophobic and almost like it's something out of a Wes Anderson film. This ramshackle collection of apartments, them hunching behind a toilet to get Wi-Fi signal. And then you go to the big airy kind of uh, expanded vistas of the Kim's. I just thought it was all really gorgeous.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Korean cinema, so I don't know how this kind of stacks up against the the typical Korean movie. Um, but yeah, I, I found myself over the course of this film sort of looking at it and going, man, that is a, a crisp shot. There, there's mm-hmm. something like, it, it's not sterile. There's like a lot of life to it, but also there's something just like, I, I don't know, visually crisp to the whole thing where, it, it, it maybe it's imagery that I'm not used to seeing, and so it sort of stands out. Yeah, uh, things like that.
0: I know what you mean. It's like the way I was thinking about it in terms of like uh, everything about the Kim's existence below the kind of like poverty line feels like a new hope. Star Wars, it's you know, the R2D2's okay. got a ding on his head, the X Wings are dirty, there's dust in a mm-hmm. thing. Where if when you move into the park side, everything is very the Phantom Menace, shiny, chrome you know well maintained immaculately manuscript uh uh landscaped uh they're living in a you know pres- they're they're supposed to be living in a building of a famous korean architect and it looks like that um but
1: they somehow get to that feeling without using like color filters mm. or any of the typical tricks that i'm used to they're they're somehow are able to divide like demarcate between the rich and the poor life. And maybe it just comes down to being yeah. you know, the 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 verticality of it, you know, being underground versus yeah. being out in this open garden.
0: Well they also sell there's a very very couple points in the film, most notably in the like the beginning of the set of the third act where the Kims are in disgrace heading back to their flooded hovel. And just a sheer amount of vertical space that they like there's this long cement staircase that they have to walk down and they just it just keeps going on and on like all the gutters they have to go through. Like it just really sells how far they are, you know, how far they've sailed above their station in life and how much further the Kim's are or the, the parks are above them. I just think that's that's amazing and also like the minimal use of like sound in the soundtrack I think was really good. There's a couple moments where there's like some cues when things shocking happen, uh, the build suspense. But like it's a very minimalist soundscape, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of suits the films. Like you said, minimal, like everything, the camera feels a lot of times locked down um and the shots are like pre-composited um and i thought i don't know it just it's like you said it's not sterile but it is pristine especially when they're dealing with uh, oh, the yeah. the kims um the film is also like especially the first half objectively hilarious
1: oh god there are so many scenes in this where i was cracking up like the uh, fo- uh, go ahead i'm sorry early on the the one where uh they're you know they have this constant menace uh throughout the the movie where there are people pissing in the alley, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just just drunk people, homeless people, whatever, out sure. there pissing in the alley. And when they have the fight between the deluge uh, in slow motion, as she's recording on the phone, it's mm-hmm. it's so good. It's so funny.
0: I thought the dad was really funny too. Like when they're all, they're like one of the jobs they're settling for is folding pizza boxes. And they see like a fumigator coming down. They're like, ah, oh, close the windows so the fumes. And he's like, no, no, I'll leave them open. Free fumigation. And they're sitting there folding these pizza boxes. It's I mean. It's a horror show because already these things is very seem like unsanitary. No one's wearing gloves. They're sitting on the floor. They're folding these pizza boxes. And now the residence is being flooded with these toxic yellow fumes. Uh, and his dad, the dad's just got the eye of the tiger though. He's got he's he's just watching that YouTube video on how to fold these damn boxes uh it's just really funny and like how like cutthroat they are um like i really enjoyed the daughter um how well she they establish her as like the the real con artist of the family and she understands that like you know where the other ones are might like cringe and they're the, the way she needs to play this role is very imperious right hey i'm a i'm a I'm a graduate of a big swinging dick American art school. And it seems like, uh, American culture and education has put a premium, um, in this film. And, you know, like I'm going, instead of like charging what I think would be a fair rate, I'm going to try to imagine what like a rich people rate for a highly coveted person. And I'm going to not let, I'm not like my brother. I'm not going to let this woman sit in the room and watch me instruct. I'm going to tell her, nah, that's not how I teach. Get the hell out of here. And how that works so well uh just her being like imperious and and uh uh and, and how easy it is to fool these i guess these wealthy people once you get within their so called belt of trust um yeah. the family remarks several times like just how like you know easy it is to fool these people and and flatter them and 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 play the role
1: and that's where some of the comedy comes into you know the, some of these schemes that they cook up to you know the the panty scheme in particular Mm -hmm. uh i thought was pretty funny but (gasps) there's just a lot more comedy that i really loved like the the scene where uh the the i guess the main character of the story the the son of the kim family it goes in and he's you know pretending to be this uh tutor this english tutor for the daughter Mm -hmm. and he's looking at this painting that the youngest uh a Dasong, or I think his mm-hmm. name is, um, mm-hmm. the youngest Park kid.
0: Yeah, the one's crazy done. about. And he's the... looking at. It,
1: he's like, "It's a chimpanzee, right?"
0: Uh huh.
1: And she says a self portrait, and he takes this long pause uh-huh. while he's looking at the thing, and he's then
0: says, "Sure enough." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's, you <laughs> it's know, <just> so good. <laughs> um, but I thought that there's also like a lot of funny stuff, like um, you know, there's the whole basement family plot. Uh, and when that kind of blows up in the Kim's face, and they're taken hostage, and the former housekeeper is doing these like grandiose proclamations about how they're going to bring the family, then she's doing it in the states, the the style of like a North Korean news anchor.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: I've thought about like, uh, and he's like,
1: "You're the best at impersonating North Korean news anchors."
0: Yeah, like imagine that. Like, I was just thinking like how crazy that must be to like imagine if you live in Detroit and like right across the canadian border in like winnipeg or something they're just talking mad shit about america all the time on how yeah. they're imminently going to destroy the capitalist pigs and blah 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 like and you can just you don't have to like look it up on youtube it's literally being broadcast like there's radio stations and tv stations like i never thought about how absurd and funny that might be to south koreans to be able to hear these delusional you know radio stations from their less fortunate neighbors to the north but uh I thought that stuff was really I thought that stuff was really funny too and one of the few moments of like comedy left in the film because it gets pretty bleak and grim after that. Um it so, does, Yeah. And then I also think there's some interesting like so this film establishes concept of crossing the line which means something very different from the Kim's and the Parks and you gradually appreciate that as the li- as you know like uh if you're you got a car driver And he's picking up girls and fucking girls in your Mercedes Benz. It's pretty obvious crossing of a line. Uh, If the help gets overly familiar and, you know, uh, overly involved in your affairs, that crosses the line, too. Um, But what's brilliant is because of the stage that he set and the way he's chosen to film this stuff, there's all these vertical and horizontal literal lines like uh, in this architect's house. There's this transparent, nearly transparent seam in the windows that the first time we meet the lady of the parkhouse, the, 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 the mother, the, the wife of the famous Korean industrialist, um, she is passed out at a patio table and the housekeeper comes and it's kind of like you can see her like, Jesus, how am I going to handle this? And they frame it to where that seam is dividing them perfectly down the middle of the table. She's on one side of the line, the householder's on the other. And she like springs across it to like clap in the woman's face to kind of wake her out of her drunken stupor and then immediately retreats over the line so that the housekeeper doesn't see, you know, that she clapped in her face to get her attention. Mm. But. I was thinking as I saw this and like um, I I was made aware of this stuff on film Twitter, like right after the movie came out um, and we saw it, I think, opening weekend. They were like, look at all these line crosses, like there's all this vertical layers of bamboo people crossing there's the horizon line there's the lines in the yard there's the lines in uh like people height literally hiding beneath tables and stuff many many times
1: they use the gutter as a line at one point yeah of of
0: something that's going to have to be crossed and like if you like the second time watching this movie it's crazy how if you look at how many metaphorical and literal lines that are crossed um but the first time I got, like, all the lines that the the Kim family is crossing, but the second time I watched it, I got a lot of, like, lines that the the Park family is crossing to the Kims. Like, the fact that on their weekend off, this rich family just thinks they can put together this party and come, come quickly. We need you to bring and pick up all this stuff. And, like, they don't consider that as crossing a line. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, if Mr. Kim asked Mr. Park for a pay advance, hey, you know, uh, my wife is, needs an operation, I need it, like, he would see that undoubtedly as a line crossing. Yeah, uh, it's, all,
1: it's all about, um, you know, and they tell them when they asked him to cross these lines, uh, when they asked the Kims to do it, that, you know, consider this part of your work. You know, hmm. we're we're paying you, uh, we want what we want, and the money will make the, the inappropriateness of it go away.
0: Right. But they also want to have like, you know, these people as like trusted friends and confidants that you can trust your child to sit on their Mm -hmm. lap and paint for hours at a time unsupervised. And um, the dual meaning of this film, uh, Parasite, is interesting. Because, I mean, I, well, let's see what you think about it. I think it's got an obvious interpretation and then a, a second fl- thought interpretation.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the obvious one is that the Kim family is a parasite on the Park family, right?
0: Right, right. The,
1: the less obvious one, I think, is just flipping those things around, where the Park family is actually a parasite on the society as a whole, on, mm-hmm. on the people, I, I guess the like poorer people of the Korean society.
0: Yeah. It's how,
1: how I would view it anyway.
0: But also, I think it's not, like, totally one-sided because we find that Mr. Park is kind of like a... You know, he is an industrialist. He is built probably creating a lot of technology and jobs for people, and he's generating a lot of wealth for that country. Um, So, like, it's so interesting because... Following people writing about this is interesting to see. Um, like I wrote, I, I read a lot of interesting think pieces from critics who clearly got this internal dichotomy that like the Kims are the obvious parasites feeding off the rich, wealthy, ki- you know, vice versa. But there was a couple like upper upper middle class and higher critics and like people on Twitter that were clearly horrified at the idea that the Kims would be seen as like protagonists in this film. Like it shakes them to their core, the idea that their housekeeper, their gardener, really might be doing this shit. And I guess, like, in a very fight club kind of way, mm-hmm. where the people who take out your trash and watch your children and clean your clothes, it is terrifying to fight that the people that you trust in your home <laughs> to do this intimate labor might actually hate you and Man, look to take advantage it, it of you. It should be terrifying, right? Yeah.
1: Right? That's the whole point. It should be terrifying. Like, yeah. you, you can't treat people poorly. And then expect to not be terrified of the retribution of that poor treatment. Like, yeah, that's that's how it goes. Yeah, like, that's, that's the it... price you pay. You know, they they pay the price of not being able to live a decent life, having to scrounge by, and hoping that you know the next catastrophe won't just do away with them. Yeah, and you have to live with the horror that maybe they're fucking somebody in your Mercedes bins.
0: Mm-hmm. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And there's also some interesting things about, um, like, how quickly the Kims get, like, um, I, want, I want to say lazy, um, and I want to say entitled, more, like, comfortable with the crossing of the lines. Like, yeah, the yeah. first couple times, it's like, oh, gosh, are we committing fraud? Are we doing, or it's like, oh, well, I guess this is, like, everybody tries to get ahead to, like, by the end, they're full-blown sabotaging. They are... Uh, harming people's health they are killing people to maintain these advantages um and it shows how cutthroat the competition is between this uh you know servant class um how quickly yeah. they're willing to throw each other under bus to get ahead um i just because like you know there's this, there's a couple of scenes where i was watching a second time and i like gasp at like things like where mr kim grabs mrs kim's ass and like, you know, if Mr. Ki- if Mr. Park turns around and sees that, then like the jig's yeah, yeah. up. But they're just like, and then they throw the the parks go away camping, and they throw the best the best act in the whole movie is launched when the parks go away on camping. And the first time I remember, like, all this tension wasn't I didn't exist. It's like, oh, this is a fun scene. The Kims are now drinking and they're having a good time. But I didn't notice it's raining, it's pouring down rain. Mm-hmm. Uh and then, you know, they, they break a dish or they break a glass or they they and I'm like, they make a mess. I'm like, oh, I wonder if they're going to come home early. Then they introduce the basement family and they keep on. Man, this is such a stressful second watch because I know what's coming. And it's like, how how are they going to get out of this situation? Um, but like that just kept on at. And that's where I was trying to get to with this, like the comfort level is that there's this scene where the Kims were kind of enjoying the quote unquote good life. But they were kind of quickly realizing I don't know if we like this. Like, we're just sitting around and we're drinking and we're starting to talk shit about each other. And like, what is there to do if you're in this? Like, is it did you get any of that too, or am I reading too much into it?
1: Uh I, I might have gotten a little of that. And I think it's also sort of reflected in the mother of the park family, right? Because she doesn't necessarily do anything right she's got a housekeeper who cooks all the meals and does all the laundry and cleans everything and even the 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 park husband Mm -hmm. uh is kind of like oh yeah she doesn't do anything you know Like, and he doesn't even like it doesn't even seem like he's clearly in love with her there's there's a scene where he's talking with uh mr kim in the car and it makes it seem like he's just tolerating her presence, which is a little weird. Yeah, that but they yeah, married. She seems almost kind of useless as as much as the park or the Kim family starts to feel underwhelmed uh, with yeah. the the scope of life in a, a house like that.
0: And you see that, like you know, that causes her to like make mountains out of molehills. Like you know, she's. Uh um she's got a son and she needs to believe that he's a genius artist because else that's something she can do she can nurture a uh, an artist mm-hmm. but you know the first time we see her she's collapsed in some kind of alcoholic stupor yeah. she's clearly unfulfilled in this world like you know is she a parasite on her husband or their kids parasites like and they also do a lot of other interesting juxtapositions too like um it's very jarring for me in 2020 to see people walking around in like full you know chief tribal elder chief headdresses because it's been beaten into our head in in, in at least our generation that that's like wildly offensive like you're Mm -hmm. taking sacred cultural and religious artifacts that's essentially like a rock star parading around drunkenly in like pope robes or something um, like that's that's uh, and to see the the Parks doing that because their son is really into camping and he really fell in love with the concept of Native Americans and they have this like completely facile appreciation for it. Like they've got this really fake synthetic tint that they're saying, oh, it's pretty good because it comes from America and that's where Native Americans come from. So this is authentic. Uh, I thought that was interesting too. That uh you know, you when you when you get a race when you get like a some of these racial kind of justice things and you get it outside the original culture and see what other countries are doing or feeling about it. It also makes me reflect on, you know, our own, our own plight. Like what are we missing when we look at the world and we look at different things like, um, you know, like what, what, in what injustices are we blind to? What things are we being, uh, blithe about? Um, Oh yeah. I, f- I felt that watching this movie. Like I,
1: I, there's a lot I don't understand about uh, Korean cinema, and right. there's a lot in this movie I think that I just don't get, like symbolism. Like, th- so I, I read a little bit of an article where uh, Bong Joon Ho was talking about the rock, the the scholar rock, in yeah, film, mm-hmm. and what that meant. And I was gratified to see that I had maybe picked up on the hints he was dropping. Where this is sort of like uh, uh, he's carrying around his hope sort of in this rock for a better Mm -hmm. future for his family. And uh so I was picking up on that, but I'm sure there's stuff around like the smell of these people, which they they continually go on and on. And I I mean I think it's just a class divide kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like poor people have a smell to them, right? Because they're not living in these pristine environments. It's like Yeah,
0: they're living in this moldy basement.
1: Yeah, if you work at McDonald's, guess what? You smell like Big Macs 95% of the time. And and that shit takes a while uh mm-hmm. to to wear off, right? Like everybody yeah. in your house is going to smell like it. It's that's just how it is whereas they're living in the you know the pristine Uh, upper echelons of society where those smells don't even enter into their daily routines
0: no they never put on the same piece of clothes they're all sleeping in matching pristine silk pajamas with matching kangaroo leather slippers or whatever the hell they are yeah the fact that they would smell moldy or or have a any kind of smell would be Mm -hmm. something that they can't even conceive of and that's the other thing is like how they don't there is truly no understanding of how each other lives. Like when the Kims get up to the parks and they see how like, they just, like, they're like jaw dropped at like, uh, uh, when the sun goes up there, the older son that's, that's posing as the, the tutor, he's just like jaw drops as he keeps walking up to this place and seeing like the yard they have and like how much light and space and freedom. And then you can tell by the way the parks act, they have no idea what it'd be like to live in like a half basement that every time monsoon season comes around, you got to worry that it's going to flood, Yeah. Um, which I did a little bit of research too. And apparently that's like, uh, you know, th- those are like the, the typical lower class urban dwellings that people take. And that is a problem that during monsoon season, they do tend to flood. And there is a lot of mill mildew and mold things are just, cons- you know, uh, uh, essentially a constant there.
1: God. So speaking of uh,
0: the rain, when it rains it pours,
1: that was one hell of a night. Like they get stuck in the park house, you know, creeping around, trying not to get caught. And then when they get out, they get home, and their home has flooded with sewage. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's hilarious, like, with this toilet spewing sewage into the air and, like, you know, the the, them puking in toilets and, like, all this stuff is funny, but at the same time, it's so tragic.
0: Yeah, and they tie it together karmically, like... So this is at the end of this long night where we find out there's this basement dwelling family, there's this complex backstory where this woman has tried to stay the housekeeper of this house because she's hiding her husband who is down on his luck and is hiding from I think debt creditors um in this panic room that the ki- that the parks don't know about and that breaks bad because they try you know obviously the Kims have used dirty underhanded tactics to get them all jobs there and she's got proof of it and there's this whole hostage scene where they she has video of them essentially that she's holding hostage but there's a scuffle she gets hurt very badly she takes a blow to the head and she's dying she's dying of a concussion she's throwing up and as she's throwing up in the toilet all the sewage is erupting on uh, across town out of the the kim's toilet and i felt like that was like a direct karma Connection the film was making the actions that the kids had trying to get ahead was now biting them the ass and and they were trying to appear as this kind of genteel middle class, you know, professional butler type, you know, driver, you know, grade Mm -hmm. uh, servant class. And it was all being exploded in their face, all the lies, all the betrayals, all the people thrown under buses was coming back. And I, I thought that was a really great way to illustrate that.
1: Yeah, and as, as they've sort of taken over the park house, their own house has been destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. I, I feel that's pretty interesting. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line also i look at the basement as it relates to like the park family and the kim family um we see the servant class uh in this movie living in basements exclusively Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. they're they're down in a semi-basement uh for their home the 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 Older housekeeper uh, has her husband living down there in the basement, and the parks don't even see the basement. They Mm -hmm. don't even know the basement exists, let alone know that there are people who are suffering down in those basements, people who might not be as fortunate as they are. They don't even know they fucking exist. They don't think about them.
0: And the way that the basement is portrayed is like this black hole that people just disappear into. And then they also... Uh, there's this overhead shot when the parks are sleeping on the couch above the Kims and the Kims are hiding under um, a coffee table. The coffee table design looks like a downward spiral with a inky black hole in the middle of it. And I thought that that was still tying that visual metaphor that like you're right that these people this is this is sight unseen like the parks if they knew. About some of these things might feel guilty, but they've arranged their life to where they never have to be confronted with the fact that they are living in this luxury at the expense of these other people, because, you know, that's the other thing. Did you do any research into like some of the motivations for why uh, uh, Jun Ho made this film?
1: I know he he started writing it immediately after Snowpiercer, but that's about it.
0: Yeah, that like there's this concept of like uh, something I've seen in the Western world too, in the last word, this concept of hell world. Like, hell world um, is briefly the juxtaposition for living in the like this presumably wealthy, powerful country that also has like third world problems, like children starving and whatnot. Like, hell world is uh, a rich uh, pharmaceutical company charging a thousand dollars for a month's supply of insulin. Uh, and it's a blue collar family being arrested and their supplies of hand sanitizer confiscated because they're trying to take advantage of someone's medical need. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Hell World is a, a child that is selling his Xbox and this article being passed around as an inspirational story to save his brother so he can pay for part of a kidney transplant instead of having a functional healthcare care system. Uh, Korea has their own version of this. They call it Hell Joseon. And I guess Joseon, and I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, is an old way to refer to Korea, the Korea and the Korean Peninsula. And it's something that uh, I guess it's exclusively now it's seen as like a fuddy-duddy term, except for North Korea, uh, exclusively refers to itself as that. And I guess expatriates outside of Korea. So this idea that like... We're living in this hell version of North Korea that you've got, like, you know, South Korea is obviously an economic powerhouse. Samsung, um, you know, uh, they're, I'm I'm going to blank on the car manufacturers, but, you know, they make and and export a lot of things, a lot of wealth in that country. But Kia and Hyundai? Kia and Hyundai. But a lot of, like, you know, it, it comes at a cost, all this economic prosperity. There are people who, you know, they, the, 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 like the, 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 father mentions this, like if you have a driving position, a, a 500 college educated uh, doctors, you know, postdocs will apply for it because Korea has for many generations prized higher education. Their schools are the most successful schools anywhere. The amount of college education that they have is like world-class, but, now, if every time McDonald's opens up a register, like unless you have those college degrees, uh, you're not going to get it. And there's 500 people trying to get that same slot. So it's like the pie keeps growing, but ever fewer people get ever larger slices of the pie. I mean, this is seems like it's almost a global thing at this point. Yeah. Um, but he, there's a couple points where he kind of invites us and never makes a show of it, but like. One of the Kim's mom apparently is a silver level Olympic athlete in hammer throw. Yeah. Something that is
1: some kind of uh, decorated veteran, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know what his medal is for, but he has a medal for something.
0: Something or that, that like I think it's, it, it, I don't know. You might be, because uh, like the son had four years of the, I guess, in the Korean Defense Force, which is why he understands English so much. Okay. Probably work inside this shoulder to shoulder with American soldiers on American bases. Um, but I would believe, yeah, maybe I missed it. He's also a decorated war uh, hero as well. Um, but the thing is, is like that this family is not like, without its pride and without its laurels yeah. like you know these are things that like society would be like oh wow that's really amazing you achieve that thing yet they're debased uh and then you go to the parks and you know he's famous for being some kind of wealthy industrialist that allows him to live thousands of times better than the kims and is that really fair um
1: yeah and i think that's you know the the idea that this is happening sort of on a global scale now Is something that really made that this movie resonate over here, Mm because you know it's one thing if we were, (laughs) I don't know, uh, Sweden or something, and you don't really Mm -hmm. have so many of these problems, it might not have resonated quite as much.
0: Yeah, I wonder if there is a country in the world that doesn't have any of this, where you know, probably uh, not
1: a country that doesn't have any of it,
0: but certainly some more countries that do it better. But it does seem like the tale of the end of the 20th century and the early 21st century isn't ever rapidly accelerating top class that is smaller and smaller and wealthier and wealthier. And they just get, they're escaping uh, the gravitational pull of society at an ever faster rate. In fact, right before we recorded this, I was reading an article someone wrote um, about, you know, like I've, I've read several of these stories, but essentially like there is a certain percentage of the super wealthy that are planning a post-civilization life, like yeah. Island compounds, armed mercenaries. Uh, and this New one, Zealand. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, do I live? You might have read the same article. Like, they're, they 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 brought the, this futurist got hired, or this technology advisor's professor got hired that he thought was going to give a keynote speech at some kind of investor retreat, but it turns out he was just propounded by these questions by like five or six wealthy people, and there are questions like, after the global climate collapses, would it be better to live in New Zealand or Alaska? What are ways you could you could maintain loyalty of like a private mercenary group if the dollar collapses? Is there any way we could like uh, encode the food storage so we could use that as a leverage? It's just like fucking wild Mad Max type of questions being asked. uh, And I don't know. It feels like to me this is something I've been waking up to. I feel like we got 30 to 50 years to kind of solve this or like they'll be beyond us.
1: Oh, yeah, automation is taking them way beyond us. And this is why I'm not, so this is probably off topic a little bit, but this mm-hmm. is why I'm not super fond of, like, the UBI uh pitches that sort of index to, like, right. uh, some sort of GDP because, uh-huh. you know, a, a percentage of, of a thing can still be outscaled by a different percentage of a thing. So, like, mm. th- you're talking about this runaway effect where, you know, the people at the bottom, okay, maybe they get a little bit more, but the people at the top are getting so much more mm-hmm. that at some point they have no incentive to even keep the people at the bottom around. Right. And that's what I'm worried about. Like, you automate you people out of jobs and stuff, and suddenly you're talking about, well, there isn't a driver position. There isn't a housekeeper position. There isn't... Mm-hmm. These positions don't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether you're the post-doctorate person who's 500th in line and can't get the job doesn't fucking matter because the do- job doesn't exist period.
0: Right. Yeah. Grim stuff, man. Um, and that's what this movie feels like. Very grim. Like the fi- final act is just a procession of ever spiraling madness and desperation. Uh, cause you now have this family, I forget their name that, that the Kims have displaced, but they are literally like going to starve and die unless they fight back against the Kims and the Kims are going to be right there a year or two away from being right there in that same position. Uh, so they have to have this like desperate gladiatorial uh, um, struggle to, to fight for their position. And then at, at the very end of the movie, that's when the flip of the understanding of the parasite turns around because like they, both of the heads of the households of the underclass warring for their scraps Independently arrive at the idea that it's the parks that are the problem. Mm-hmm. The first guy, who's probably already a little insane, stabs uh, Mama Park, and then there's some kind of thing that snaps inside Papa Kim, and he picks up the butcher knife and kills the park senior. And then you've got this wild denouement where the father's down there in the bunker hidden away uh on on and run for his life and he's sending out these coded morse code messages that he's hoping his son sees mm-hmm. man I'd, i and his, so his what's your i want to see them and yeah what's he, your interpretation of this
1: so my interpretation is that he's he's fucked uh so so the ending of this movie is really sad and hopeless in my opinion and it's it's kind of symbolized i think with that scholar rock which Mm-hmm. he's been carrying this rock around and as much as it symbolizes hope, which I, I think is what it's supposed to symbolize, he puts it down. He puts, puts it back into a river at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of, I think, when he's envisioning like this future where he becomes this rich person, makes a whole bunch of money, buys the house out, uh, and then his father is free, right? Right. Uh, th- this idea that he's going to somehow overcome all the obstacles in his path and become the kind of person who can free his family from the life of destitution they've been fated with. Mm -hmm. And I, in my opinion, like him dreaming about that Mm -hmm. is just that it's a fantasy. Um, Mm -hmm. it's never going to be, it's never going to come true. And you can see it sort of with the final shot where he's just sitting on this couch in the same shit filled house, moldy and probably killing him actively. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's just looking into the camera and the socks, the same socks that were hanging up mm-hmm. in the beginning of the thing are still hanging there. It's just, it's, it's a return essentially to the status of at the beginning of this movie, which is very much one of despair.
0: Yeah. Cause I remember the first time I was watching this, like that, it was so affecting like the, that, that birthday party massacre. And I was just still reeling from that and it's just kept on pile. And then like, the way he shots, shoots this is like him narrating a future success, and I had thought that, like, is this some weird Korean thing where they'll do some kind of wild fantasy sequence that seems wildly unlikely? I'm like, I'm not buying any of this. There's no way this kid is going to go from rags to riches and buy this particular thing. It's a kid thing.
1: who has no education, right? Yeah. Uh, he comes well, he's from a poor family, and he's yeah. brain damaged at this point.
0: Like, yeah. And I was thinking, like, is this some kind? And I'm like, I just, I'm not buying this. And I remember having that dissonance in my head, and it just, slant, it just snapshots from him welcoming his father out of the basement. You just, you just, you just, you just do this, this snap shot. What do you call that? It's uh, a, it's a crash edit, smash. smash cut. Oh yeah, smash cut. Yeah. You've got this situation where this kid is welcoming his father out from the basement, and as I'm stra- grappling with, like, I don't know that I buy this. They just smash cut to him in that pitiable situation is kind of thousand yards staring at the camera yeah and oh my god i felt like i couldn't get out of my seat for five minutes after i saw that because it goes from this false Um, hope that you know is false and and i think you're supposed to know that he knows is false
1: absolutely like if you look at what his father is saying when they're in that shelter um, no plan yeah when he says yeah you don't make plans plans are hopeless and he somehow is still clinging to this rock which Mm -hmm. just seems to be following him that's his hope he puts it away He's got nothing, and he's doing what his father told him not to do, which is to make a plan. And so yeah. when it snaps back to reality mm-hmm. in that situation, you, you kind of understand he's he's committing a folly here. And I think that's, you know, even if the poor do everything right, mm-hmm. even if they they behave perfectly, they make all the good decisions in life, one small thing could just randomly yep. destroy them. That's all it takes, one random act yep uh, and they're they're screwed for life. so
0: and they contrast that with the the parks who like are going on and on about how their camping trip was ruined. Oh, let's make lemons from lemonade by having all of our servants come and whip us a party together uh with a short short notice right. and like the amount like I mean, that's the thing like the I feel like is like the fundamental misunderstanding when people say that like, you know, you yeah, have you want I want a merit-based economy. I don't want like you know, all these social safety nets that stack the deck. and it's more of like, If you're born rich, you have to fuck up so long and so extensively and you Mm -hmm. still have lifeline after lifeline after lifeline. Whereas, as you said, if you're born in the poor, the working poor, you're one bad health crisis away. Like, I I think about this all the time. My granddad didn't graduate high school, uh, partially crippled entering the working uh, workforce and with one paycheck, put six kids through college and retired at 55. And I think about like what my family would be like if my granddad broke his back at at age 30. Mm-hmm. And I also think about like what his family's turned into in the last 30 years. Like it's a real kind of like rags to riches to rags story because like most of my cousins aren't doing nearly as well as their uh, my aunts and uncles. And, you know, and they a lot of them have college educations, but they're underemployed because they're just, you know, uh, like in rural Indiana, there's not a lot of fucking work opportunities and they don't want to leave because that's where their family's at. A couple it's of global, uh, global financial crises. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, especially my younger cousins that got, you know, like I kind of fairly established career before the first real, uh you know, right. global recession hit. Um, I feel that I feel like my family is like the evidence of like that being true that like as you know this meat grinder can do like more and more of us being lost whereas if we were an old mint money family yeah you would have a black sheep or two but we you know <laughs> my cousins would be founding companies and doing just just riding on their generational wealth anyway it's uh like I said a very bleak film but relentlessly watchable and again I just it's such a it it i i saw some people talking about how this is a constantly evolving movie like when you're watching it it's like such a screwball black comedy mm-hmm. and then like it turns into this like psychological thriller it kind of does go into horror territory in the last act like the the first time we see from the kid's perspective that guy popping out of the basement it's just vintage like asian horror yeah. you know this guy's shit, crazy right? wide eyes spotlighted just coming out of the inky darkness um, him running around with his blood covered face at the party slashing people like it constantly changes and changes until then it becomes this weird kind of tone poem in the last five minutes a meditation on crushing poverty and how it destroys your dreams before they they can even because I thought that's what I thought is like he you mentioned what his his dad told him at the shelter that he caught it like I thought that that smash cut to the end was almost him catching him himself doing that. I'm dreaming. It's leading me to form a plan. I can visualize it. You know what? Fuck it. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, Probably right. Uh, And uh, that's what
1: I think separates this from something like Knives Out. Knives Out is more of a fun romp. Yeah. Uh, This has fun in it. And uh, I love that dark comedy. But this has a very poignant message at the ending. Mm -hmm. uh, Which, uh, I don't know. I I think Knives Out has something to say about class and inequality. But... Not nearly as much as this film.
0: Yeah, man, I tell you what, I, I've rarely seen an. This is like almost Hitchcockian, and how it ratchets up the tension in that like second to third act transition, yeah. um, using the fact that we already know what a fucking like a mess this house has been, and what a complicated situation. And then the mom calls and says, "I'm eight minutes away. By the way, have this dumpling thing ready to go," yeah. like. I And and then the excruciating tension of the Kims being stuck under the couch and the table as the parks start fucking. And, you know, like also it's like I I thought that was a little bit interesting how the parks were universally condemning this young driver fucking in their BMWs. And, oh, he probably has the type of girl that would leave her panties in there is probably on meth or cocaine. And yet that's the fantasy that they used when they were like fucking when he's like, oh, put on those that those dirty panties, and she's like, yes, buy me drugs. Like, <laughs> okay, fantasy.
1: That's fantas- where they were going with. That I was, I was. Curious. I thought I so.
0: I thought that that's like that's the illustration is like their like fun fantasy is like this lurid world that they lur- look, you know, officially look down their nose at, but they're secretly enthralled at uh, gotcha. or enthralled by. Because I don't. They're also doing like I. I feel like I could watch this film a dozen more times and come away with something because they're also doing something with the Kims. Rapidly feeling the ennui that the parks are are uh, encased in, mm-hmm. just by spending an afternoon living like them, like oh, this is literally all there is. Yeah. No, you know, if we if we don't manufacture crisis with our children and we don't, uh, you know, throw a, a party like every day to distract yourself from how kind of utterly meaningless this existence is, too, it just begs the questions like, why is any of this happening, like? if no one is happy with the system and some people are dying and living in squalor, why, why do we keep doing it? Um, I don't know. Good question. I wonder like, you know, you look in and read history of like, you know, what society felt about, like as they're going through industrialization, what society was, was uh, felt like when they're going, you know, like throwing off the last bits of feudalism, uh, uh, the feudal society in the early 20th century for most of Europe. It's like, it's interesting to see, it's filled with these transition periods of people like, well, you can't. There's, there's no way you can live like this. We've lived this way for you know forever, and you know it's, it's good and just and wise, and that seems so archaic. The idea that like mm-hmm. you gotta have a king or queen, you gotta have dukes and all this stuff, and they're just you're better because they're born that way, and uh, it just seems so silly. And I wonder, like hundred years from now, if we'll, you know, look back and and see some of this, you know, late stage, uh, early twentieth century, twenty first century. Paradoxes of life. If we'll see it as like uh, equally foolish, or if there'll only be a hundred thousand so. people living on secure compounded islands, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the way the wild folk of of the world lived is just a sim a passing in legend and myth. All right, well, that'll shut the books on Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. We are going to be looking at a, uh, not a modern classic, but a classic classic. We're going all the way back to 1974 to consider the American mystery thriller, The Conversation, produced and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. He actually re- made and released this the same year as, as Godfather 2, and this movie was nominated for, uh, for three additional Academy Awards, and he beat himself. Uh, good for him and it stars uh, Gene Hackman as well as uh, Godfather favorite John Kazali that's Fredo right sure is and uh, has a lot of people Uh, Harrison Ford's in this Robert Duvall Terry Garr uh, Cindy Williams Uh, I have not I don't know much about this film other than its reputation I'm excited to see it Uh, if you want to watch along with us please do because we'll have this out next Thursday until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim see you next week